Good evening. Lovely to see you all. Uh, I'm Michael. As has been said quite a lot, I've been prayed for. I've been, this is quite a difficult gig, isn't it? Because let's be totally honest, all of us have a belief system, right? All of us have a belief system. And not only do we have a belief system, we have a starting point of that belief system and we have a journey. All of us. We all have that. The starting point, the journey and the belief system. And now I've got to say something that's interesting to each and every one of us. And we all differ, don't we? You could have two Christians sitting side by side with one another and they would both disagree on what it actually means to be a Christian. So what I want us to do is I want us to take a step back from that starting point and that journey and the belief we have today. Let me give you a couple of examples of those, of, of people that I know, this isn't everyone, but many people, they were brought up in a Christian family, some people were, and their parents were trying to tell them, they were trying to teach them what they believed, and so they would tell them things like, God is good and God answers prayer. Yeah, their parents, they weren't malicious, they just, this is what they believed. And then as people grew up, they kind of journeyed along life and they saw the world and they go, hold on, I've been told that God is good, but actually the world I see just not, is just not good. And then we, I've been told that God answers prayer and time and time and time again, he hasn't answered my prayer. And actually, when I speak to these people, actually their desire is for it to be true. They just say it can't be true because of my experience. Or maybe others of us, we, we weren't brought up in a kind of overtly religious household like that, where it kind of, religion was kind of part of it, but it was all wrapped up in all the other stories. And it was kind of, kind of you know, once a year religion, you know, like Christmas. You know, where Christmas was wrapped up in kind of, you had, you had Santa and you had baby Jesus and you had family. That's what Christmas was all about. And then as you journeyed through life, you put logic with Santa and then you realise family's not as romantic and as perfect as it's meant to be and it's complex. And then you just kind of realise with that, it wasn't that you stopped believing, it was just irrelevant. Baby Jesus in the crib was just irrelevant. Or some of us grew up with no concept no teaching from school or family about Christianity. In fact, really, the only exposure of Christianity we ever had was basically from the movies, the really weird ones, or The Simpsons, Ned Flanders. You know, we're not laughing, we're just, just saying that for, for many people, this is, the, this is the starting point. And then as you've journeyed, you've met Christians and you've gone, that's kind of made me think through what I believed. We've asked yourself questions, and how does that fit into my framework? And, and now you're here. And each and every one of us are here, all together. So what I want us to do is to take a massive step back and park all of that and try and distill and boil down what is Christianity all about. And the reason that's important is because for those of us who say we accept it, we need to know what we're accepting. And for those of us who reject it, we need to know what we're rejecting. Because some people who accept Christianity, they haven't actually accepted what Christianity is. And some people have rejected what Christianity actually isn't. So let's imagine for a minute we're coming at this from scratch. Not forever, just for these next 10, 15 minutes. From scratch. So where do we start? Now I'd like to start um, with a story. Now I know what you're thinking already. Uh Uh-oh. The preacher's tangled himself up in knots. 
You can't ask us to just park our whole experience and then bring the Bible into it. We all have an opinion on the Bible. Let's be honest. We all have an opinion on the Bible, whether it's Granny's little book or just some kind of relic or a fairy tale manual. We all have an opinion. We'd have to go pretty far to find someone who doesn't have an opinion on this book. Okay, but hear me out, right? This collection of books are individual books that were individually written. And this is really good for us. Because we can take one of these books out and we can say, how does it fit with all the other historical ancient texts of the time? So we're going to look at a book called Acts, written by a guy called Luke. And we can take that book and we can, we can critique it and we can study it in the same way we critique and we study all other ancient texts around that time. You can go to Oxford, you can go to the Ashmolean Museum, and you can go to the Bodleian Libraries, and you can find texts from Acts and texts from those ancient times side by side, and we can look at them together. That's what we're going to do now. If, can I invite you, if you would like to, there are Bibles on the end of your pews. So grab a Bible, and we are in Acts chapter 17. You can find it on page 1,113. Now, the reason reason it's really important for us to come at this, right? We've just parked our journey. The reason it's important for us to come at this as an individual book is this is a logbook. A guy called Luke, we know a guy called Luke wrote this. And he's basically writing a logbook. And that's important because of this. He, Luke wasn't writing the Bible. He was just writing a document. So that's what we're going to do today. And he's writing about a group of people. He's writing about the Greeks in Athens. And they have no concept of Christianity. They're not Jewish. They're not waiting for anyone. They haven't heard of this kind of Nazarene guy doing miracles. They haven't heard of any of this. And a guy called Paul is about to walk into Athens and he's about to tell them from scratch what Christianity is all about. Now, Paul's an interesting guy. He had a kind of midlife change. He was a, he was a guy called Saul who was a Jew and he hated Christians. And then he changed his life and he became Paul who was a Christian and everyone hated him. Not everyone hated him, but he was a great guy. Okay, so, so this is where we're at. And, and so we're, we're going to read of these people who have never been exposed to Christianity Paul is about to tell them, what does he tell them? Okay, so here we go. So the, those people that um, translated the Bible, it wasn't written in English, those people thought it'd be helpful to put headings, and they have, so we've got in Athens, that's where we are, we're in Athens, on page 1113, in Athens. While Paul, this is chapter 17, verse 16, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was so full of idols. Now, idols, what that means is you've got temples, you've got shrines, you've got altars, you've got uh, got kind of wood carvings, you've got all these different things all over the city and all of them are being worshipped. And he just sees them everywhere. Okay, that's, that's the picture for you. Right, here we go. So, he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God fearing Greeks. That's Greeks who have become Jews, as well as those in the marketplace. Now, the marketplace, we don't have anything like the marketplace anymore. We have a marketplace. But think of everything that you do on the internet, and that's what they did in the marketplace. So it's where they exchanged ideas, it's where they heard news, it's where they bought and sold things. Okay? It's the kind of epicenter of everything that was happening in Athens. And he goes there. So, let's carry on. 
He went to the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Right. A group of Epicureans, right? Epicurean is those people that, that, that believe that you can't figure it out, but, but you should just chill out and drink wine, especially really good wine. That was their kind of summary of everything. I mean, there was lots of good things that you could figure out, but the main thing was good wine. Okay, here we go. And Stoic philosophers, you can know it, we just need to boil it down. And we can tell you exactly what it all means, we just need time. Okay? So he meets these philosophers and he begins to debate with them. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seemed to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Now, this is news. This is new. Now, you've got to remember, Athens has got every god possible. It's basically more the merrier. And suddenly some guys walked in and go, this is a foreign god. This is weird. We've heard some weird stuff, but this is particularly new. Let's have a look, see what happens. Then they took him and brought him to the Arapokoros. Now, what that is, is you can go there today, and that's where they used to bring people to hear the new ideas that come into Athens, because you can't just come in and start preaching anything. Over hundreds of years, as power has left Athens and gone to Rome, still it was the intellectual center of the universe, according to them. And they wanted you, you can't just come in and start preaching. You need to come and express your views and we'll give you permission. Because otherwise what happened was they used to have people coming in and the city would get divided and there'd be like a little war. So you've got to have permission. Let's go. Where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. And then because it's a logbook, here's an aside. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas, which is quite true. This is a real place where thousands of ideas were discussed and debated, and Paul is no different. So, you see what happens? He's walked in. They've said, you're preaching something new. We want you to tell us so we can know what you're saying. From scratch. And then they brought him in. Here we go. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Arapocorus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. Right? I walk around and I see everything. Temples to this. Altars to that, shrines to this, carvings to that. You've even got an altar for the unknown God. In the midst of all the other things that you worship, you're still not sure. You know, it's in case the God turns up and be like, oh, we didn't know your name, but here you are, here's your seat. The unknown God. We're not sure just in case. Right? But we, we all have that, don't we? Not sure just in case. I've got lots of friends that have started to um, have babies and um, they have no connection. I mean, these are like good friends, but they have no connection with church. They have no faith background. They have no desire to know about Jesus. And suddenly they're like, oh, Mikey, will you baptize our babies? And I'm like, what? Not sure, just in case. That's what that is. That's what that is. I'm not, you know, we're not mocking. Of course we're all like, not sure, just in case. Then we do, some, we just do some weird things. I'm not sure, just in case. And that's what they've got. Hundreds and hundreds of gods. We're not sure, just in case. 
Then he goes on. So, you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Now, before you turn the page, Keen. Before you, before you turn the page, we just need to figure out what all this idol stuff is about. Because it'd be very easy. Many of you would have heard the argument, right, we don't worship Zeus and we don't worship Aphrodite, so we don't, why should we worship Jesus, right? We've, we've all heard that argument, right? But the problem is what we've done is we've kind of taken out the middleman. And if you think about what the idols actually represented, then maybe it makes a bit more sense. But let's take Aphrodite, right? Goddess of beauty. You're telling me in South London... You've never met anyone who their sole aim, their deepest desire is for their own beauty. That is the thing they worship. You talk about birthdays or getting old, and it's almost like you've said a dirty word. Because at the very core of who they are, everything is found in their beauty. Isn't that just the word? We've just taken out the middle person. We just haven't called it Aphrodite. We're just worshipping our beauty. And all the gods represented different things. Wealth. Come on. We live in London. You're telling me you've never met someone whose highest purpose and deepest desire for their very soul and their very being is to have wealth? Ever? Hiesta. That was the God of family and home. How many people at the very core of everything they want is to have a family and to have a home? And so what, what he's saying is, it's not that you're worshipping these different things, you're just worshipping things that represent things. And you're worshipping this idea of power and money and sex and beauty and the family, all these things, and that is at the very heart, everything. And we might not use the word worship, but that's what it is, our deepest desire. And this is what Paul's talking into. And he's saying, of course you're searching for something because none of those things are ever going to fulfill you. If it's beauty, well, you're going to get old. If it's power, well, what are you going to do when you die? If it's wealth, there's uncertainty. If it's family, what happens if that doesn't happen? So he's saying, you are following these things, but you don't understand. And now I'm going to explain it to you. I'm going to explain what that altar is, the unknown God, and why all these gods haven't satisfied you. So that's the argument that he's made. And then he's going to do a step-by-step argument about what that is. So, okay, verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. Right? The reason you're following these gods is because you can see... There is order and not chaos. Right? The reason they followed all these gods is that they could see that there was order and not chaos. It's like when you walk into a room and you see a jigsaw made. That's come from somewhere. right? And that's what he's saying. He's saying, now, what I'm about to do is, of course you believe that these gods put things in order, but I'm going to tell you that there is one God over all. The God, the God, not many gods, the God who made the world and everything in it. And then he goes on. And he does not live in temples built by human hands. He doesn't live. He's not like all your other gods. He's teeing up for himself. This is not just another option. This is something totally different. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. So you've got all these little gods that need you. These gods don't exist if you don't worship them. If you don't give them power, if you don't give them your money, if you don't give them your wealth, I'm going to talk about one God who doesn't even need you. That's the argument so far. 
Right, verse 25. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they, uh, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. This God has been making himself known. This God has been doing things over time. He carries on. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Now, this idea of these gods that take everything and don't give anything back, and therefore we know that, so that you're looking for this unknown God, but this God, this one God, who is the creator God, who doesn't need us, is knowable. He's knowable. Perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. He's knowable. And then he does something really interesting. You can see at the bottom of your Bibles, he quotes, he doesn't quote the Old Testament because they don't care. He doesn't quote some other Christian philosopher. They don't care. He quotes their people. Here we go. Verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Now, they were writing that who had nothing to do with the Christian God. We are in, his offspring is actually in reference to Zeus. And what he's doing, he's taken these, these things that people have written and he's saying, it wasn't about those gods that you were following. It's about the one true God. And I'm here to tell you about him. Now, he's about to have a gear shift. You can see this kind of logical argument in, in these Athenian minds building. You've looked, you've searched, and you can see that there is order and not chaos, but you've looked in the wrong place. It's not these idols, it's not these desires. They will never satisfy you. Only a God who doesn't need you will satisfy you because he hasn't been painted by you, he's not been carved by you, he's not been made in your image, he doesn't live in the house that you've made for him, and he doesn't warrant, he doesn't need your sacrifices. And he's made himself knowable. Now, we're going to hear a gear shift. Here we go. Verse 29. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design. He's repeating it. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. What that means is, it basically means stop worshipping these other idols. Stop giving your money and your time and your heart and your future and your whole lives to these things. Turn from them, turn to this God. That's what he's saying there. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man, Jesus, he's already teed that up at the beginning, he has appointed. Now, Sounds a bit harsh with justice by the man he has appointed. But if you compare it to verse 27, right? There's justice on the one hand, but what he's actually, what he's already teed up is that God wants to know us. Reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. Now, he hasn't been interrupted yet. The Athenian people, it takes our time to, you know, whether we agree or not. But the Athenian people, it's like, well, okay, we agree with everything you've said. We've put in this structure because we need to make sense of the order of things. And we want to worship the desires of our hearts. We've made these idols. But we agree, we don't know everything. And that's why we've got the unknown God. Maybe it is the one God. And then Paul goes on. He has given proof of this to everyone 
by raising him from the dead. Now, wait, before you read on, if this were the Bible, what do you think it says? The whole city became Christians and someone came out with a guitar. (laughs) And Athens was never the same again. The end. But what does it say? Let's have a look. Okay, he's just made this massive claim, right? The proof of all of this is that God raised Jesus from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. There it is. Some of them sneered. And that's a, that's a response people have to this claim. The claim that Jesus is alive. Because that's the claim Paul is making. The one God creator of the world who wants to make himself knowable has given proof by raising Jesus from the dead. He's resurrected. And the response? To sneer. And that's okay. But what I want us to be honest with is if we're going to sneer, sneer at the right thing. Don't just sneer at, oh, the church is a bit weird or the songs are a bit slow. Or, you know, any of this. Sneer at what is the heart of Christianity, which is, is Jesus alive or dead? That is the heart of Christianity. I know people mock me behind my back. I know my friends do. That's okay. Of course, they, I actually think Jesus is alive and many people do. Of course you're going to sneer. But that's, the, that's what's at stake. Not just kind of, you know, how, how, you know. So do we sneer? Now, for some people, what they do, they, you know, for some Christians, what they do is to make it more manageable, they say, well, the resurrection is metaphorical. Jesus lives on in his teaching. You know, things like that. There was a, um, a bishop, um, Bishop of Durham called N.T. Wright, and he's a kind of writer. And he wrote something uh, really interesting. He said this, People have been told so often that resurrection is just a metaphor. That means Jesus died and was glorified. In other words, he went to heaven, whatever that means. And they never realized that the word resurrection resurrection simply didn't mean that. Simply, this is not just a kind of metaphor. You can definitely be a Christian and still sneer at the idea that Jesus is alive. You know, Paul in another letter to the Corinthian church, he talks about the resurrection as being really the only hope for Christians. And if the resurrection hasn't happened, then Christians should be the most pitied of people. Because it's just not true. We don't have anything. If the resurrection is just a metaphor, you've got nothing. So it's good to kind of get into our minds. Okay, what is Christianity at its heart about Jesus Christ who died and rose again? Is it true? So, sneer. Second group of people. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. Have a look. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. What do they not say? We believe. They don't say we believe. We say, actually, deep down, this is probably not true. But we want to hear you again. We want to explore. And what's interesting here is they don't say, right, hold on a minute. All the other questions, they go, on this subject, we want to hear more because Either fall, everything either falls or rises with, is Jesus alive? Now, for you and I, if we wanted to explore those questions, where would we do it? Well, isn't it wonderful that this Tuesday we have a course starting on Tuesday where you can explore these questions? We run Alpha, okay? We have it at 10 o'clock in the morning or 7.30 at night. 
And there we're going to have supper together and there's going to be short talks and group discussions that we're going to grapple with. Is any of this true? And unlike my talk, you can come with your starting point and you can come with your journey and you can come with your beliefs and ask, how does this fit into a framework of Christianity? And you can ask the question, is there any historical evidence that Jesus rose from the dead? Christianity is the only religion that puts its hands up and goes, this we believe was an historical event, come and figure out if it's true or not. We're the only ones. We're the only ones that, you know, we, we, you know. No resurrection, we got nothing. So come and explore. Because I think for some of us, we're like, I don't believe basically 99.9%, but I could ask a question. And look, I'm not an idiot. You know, when I said for us to put our journeys on hold, I know that there is a lot of journey that's gone on in our lives and a lot of questions. And I've thrown out big concepts like God doesn't answer prayer. You know, I'm not an idiot. This affects people. So can I, can I encourage you, if, if, any, if you want to come, if you've been coming to church for years and the idea of an actual resurrection is just weird, why don't you come on out and go, is there any truth to it? What do I really believe? What am I really accepting and what am I really rejecting? Thirdly, final group of people. At that, Paul left the council, verse 34. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Sneering, questioning, believing. We haven't done everything today. But I I just want to invite you, wherever you are, to consider these claims. So how do we respond? If you want to sneer, wonderful. I, re- I really hope that this has been an enjoyable experience at the very least and you've got some great mockery things tomorrow. Be like, I went to this really weird place last night. Mental. <laughs> Clap them. Genuinely, I'm, not, I'm just like, you know, let's, let's be honest. But let's sneer at the thing that Christianity is claiming. Christianity is claiming that Jesus is alive. For those of us that go, I don't believe a word of it. And actually, I don't think I ever will. But actually, I'd like to hear what they have to say. Why don't you come next Tuesday, 7.30? Just turn up. If it's rubbish, you don't have to come back. Search. Begin that search. Um, As we kind of close, I think for all of us, you know, I know lots of this kind of New Year stuff coming on, but it, you know, it is a New Year. For many of us, we can make the decision. Actually, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do things a little differently. I'm going to search in a different way, and I'm gonna find the answers. I'm gonna make a decision once and for all, and I'm gonna give an answer to that question of Jesus, not the one that I, that I've been told to say, not the one that my family says, not the one that society says. I'm gonna make the decision for myself. I'm gonna figure this out once and for all. Now, for many of us, we're all on these different journeys. And for some of us, we don't believe in prayer. We don't believe in anything else. But actually, we might, we might appreciate someone praying for us at the beginning of the year, whether you believe in it or not, whether you do believe. And so in our first song, we're going to invite anyone that wants to. There'll be people just kind of milling about here. If you would like someone to pray for you and just say, I don't know what I want prayer for, but I'm on a journey. I think this will be nice. Feel free to come and pray. But can I encourage you, do consider, if you want to search, coming to Alpha this Tuesday at 10.
or at 7.30. Can I invite you to stand? I'm going to pray for all of us. And then we're going to uh, have some more song worship. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can all have all these beliefs. We can have all these journeys. We can have all these starting places. And yet you have said you want to make yourself known. You sent your son Jesus to make yourself known. To pave a way. Now I pray for all those that came tonight that would consider themselves Christians. That we would truly look in our hearts and our minds about what it is that we've really accepted. What it is that we have chosen to believe. And for those of us who are on a journey where we're searching, would you be with us? We pray for all those who would sneer. Would you be with them and be with their loved ones this year? We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.